Hello and welcome to the Philanthropy Australia podcast. Today we're joined by young philanthropists Bella Weeks and Martin Green to discuss their generation's approach to philanthropy, the compelling issues that demand urgent attention and responding to some of the entrenched problems of disadvantage. Bella and Martin were recently named co-chairs of Philanthropy Australia's New Gen Network. So let's hear a bit about each of them. Bella's an engagement strategist at Groundswell Giving. Before that, she was Strategy and Operations Director at Coalition for Conservation. She's worked at Social Ventures Australia on campaign design in financial services, including on strategies for carbon risks and offset approaches in portfolio management and as a volunteer consultant with NFPs. She has served as a fellow for United Nations Academic Impact at the University of Sydney and sat on the inaugural Climate Action Committee at Mosman Council. She's also a director of the Wiggs Foundation and a Nexus Australia committee member. Martin is a director and publisher at Pantera Press, a family-run social purpose book publishing house that invests in the next generation of Australian storytellers through their Good Books Doing Good Things program aiming to close the literacy gap by sponsoring programs that promote the joys of literacy, reading and writing skills, and creativity. As a writer, musician and producer, Martin has contributed writing to and created several books. He's released an EP of instrumental music, completed a rock and roll album, and donates his time, skill and resources to organisations empowering youth creativity through music, art and storytelling. In addition to his new role as co-chair of Philanthropy Australia's New Gen, Martin is also director of the Pantera Press Foundation. What does New Gen do differently to other philanthropists? And I mean, in a sense, is this about the how or the what, or is it something else? Yeah, we, we had an interesting conversation about this, actually, and it's almost hard for us to know and maybe not for us to say what other philanthropists are doing because we're kind of so early in our journey. But I do think that there seems to be certain differences in attitudes and priorities between generations. In terms of how or, or what, I think one thing is that we've got quite a focus on overall holistically doing good, doing good business and social purpose business and impact investing. And I think maybe there's a feeling that the old guard of philanthropy will donate money to a cause. Let's use climate change as an example. Say Jeff Bezos donates $10 million to climate change, a billion dollars to climate change, while at the same time being the single biggest polluter on the planet. Now, we beat the millions of people on the internet to fire shots at Jeff Bezos, and I don't think he cares. But, you know, how, how can you make billions of dollars by investing in saving the planet and that's a question that the younger generation of philanthropists is interested in what investments can we make you know can you invest in in solar cells or seaweed farms aquaculture that kind of thing that can actually have an impact on and change the world because i mean in a sense you've actually led that question logically back to the starting point i think you mentioned martin about perhaps different slightly different attitudes Bella, how do you think those new attitudes look? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they are new or different as much as sort of not deeply entrenched. I think obviously, as Marty just said, we're new to our journeys, which means that we don't sort of have ways that we are stuck in, which means that 
we, you know, not only have this kind of attitude where we're bringing sort of everything along and not just capital, but we're also, you know, I think quite willing to adapt and to be flexible and to sort of listen to all the different voices that might surround something as opposed to sort of have these kind of preconceived or sort of well-established ideas of how we might want to go about something and sort of stick to them despite being told by different people along the way that it might not be what's sort of needed for a particular project. So I think it's kind of like the how is still something that would be developing for any given new gen which is what I think does make it so different in the way that it's like we're sort of happy to pivot and to sort of bring everything along and not sort of be too hung up on like you know well this is how I want to do it and this is how I do do things it's sort of like I think everyone's sort of just you know, wanting to learn. And that means that we're sort of, I think, just really happy to listen. And so I wonder if that's like a really important point of difference. And perhaps it is that sort of willingness to listen that is the difference in attitude. And perhaps that itself is an attitude, right? Like I'm sort of not here to tell anyone how to do anything. And in fact, I'm here to be told how to do it because, you know, I have no experience. That is what sets a new gen apart. And with that, of course, comes you know, a sense of respect for different voices and, you know, a willingness to make mistakes in a sense that we don't have anything to lose. We're not sort of bound by reputation or, dare I say, ego in a way that veterans of philanthropy may be. That's very interesting. And there are a couple of things that I'd like to draw out from that. And this is for both of you, because it strikes me that what you're talking about, Bella, there is a sense of the conventional structures, as we see them now, are perhaps open to challenge. And I don't mean that in an aggressive sense, but they're open to question. And that some of the problems that we're trying to address here um, seem to have from a new gen perspective, more urgency than perhaps traditional or established philanthropy might be doing in terms of trying to address them. Does that feel close to how you see it or is it something quite different to that? No, I think it's very much the case. And I mean, climate's the obvious one. But, you know, I I don't want to be so prescriptive as to say like, oh, well, all new gens care about climate. And so that affects Mm. the way that they might operate. Or like all new gens care about equity amongst the genders. And that determines how they might operate. Because I don't think it's necessarily these sort of cause-specific concerns that inform that sort of set of operations as much as kind of like these operating principles but it would be like incorrect to say that you know we aren't all preoccupied by some things that objectively need to be dealt with sooner and objectively have a sort of flow on effect to other areas in the ways that some perhaps haven't historically like I think historically maybe it's been easier to say oh I care about this and it's actually disparate from this other thing now we have things like climate and gender and whatever else that's sort of there's no way to say that they're not inextricable to sort of everything that you might care about and so I think that's probably quite unique and especially on the climate front 
knowing that we have a very short time to sort of sort this thing out. I think it means that even if it's not your sort of baby, like it obviously is mine, it's going to affect your baby whether you like it or not. You know, it's almost like a home front in a way where it's like everyone's just on this thing, um, whether they intrinsically care about it or not. And, yeah, I wonder historically, apart from big disruptive events like wars or health crises or whatever they may be, I wonder if there haven't been these sort of big existential threats that you haven't been able to avoid in your philanthropy as they exist now. Marty, so you concur with that sense of urgency and as Bella says that there are now clearly issues that are far more pressing than perhaps they might there might have been a generation ago? Yeah, I, I totally do agree with that. And I'd be willing to go even further in the direction of saying that that does inform the topic areas that people of our age are, are interested in, in funding and changing. I think that you do see that sense of urgency, particularly with climate, just because of the result that we're worried about, you know, and the things that might happen. Like if we don't have a human society on the planet because we're all dead, then medical research isn't very important anymore. So that that seems fundamental to us, but is still probably comparatively the most underfunded area in all of philanthropy. And if, if you were to look at the demographics of our generation and where we're interested, it would be so much further in that direction than where most of the money is spent. And I think that attitude is something that is different. And I think it kind of crosses over into a, a broader attitude of addressing root causes rather than trying to fund things on, on the outside. So we're, we're always focused and we're conscious that it's urgent, not just with climate, but with, with gender equality and, and refugees or anything like that because of the flow on effects, like, like Bella was saying before, if we, if we can spark things and change these areas, what happens is all those other things may start taking care of themselves and we can kind of focus, like in, in terms of medical diseases, people of our generation might look at it more from a fundamental layer and say that inflammation is the fundamental cause of disease. So what do we need to do? What levers do we need to pull to have a less inflammatory society in general. And then we're trying to fund there and you're trying to do that quickly because if you can make that change, then the flow on effect's huge and then you can kind of focus on everything else. Okay. How does New Gen's priorities and practices help to drive social change? Well, I think actually the point you just made, Marty, about underfunding is perhaps the germane one here. Like I think there's a real appetite amongst New Gen's to say like what is being left behind and how can I step in? And maybe with medical research, it's not the case that we don't care about it. It's just the case that, like, you know, on balance, that's being looked after pretty well by a lot of people. And I think the arts is the classic one that people are like, oh, it's only old people that care about the arts. And it's like, I, you know, that's just wildly untrue. But again, on balance, though it is underfunded, it's much better funded than a lot of other areas that are points of concern for philanthropy. And so I think it's that real appetite to sort of sniff out what needs a hand that makes new gen different. And I think that, of course, is the crux of what drives social change, as well as the fact that it is that time, talent, treasure thing 
that new gen brings. And I wonder if that is kind of just like a symptom of being young, that you do sort of have more time and a willingness to lend your talent that you sort of might not have as, you know, life goes on and you have more responsibilities and, you know, perhaps the only thing you have to leverage is your capital. That's just sort of not the case for new gen. And so I think that is very effective in driving social change more so than this sort of top level, I'll write a check and hope there's this trickle down effect, which we know doesn't drive social change in the same way that a grassroots approach does. I think another thing on that, on that is just that we are all digital natives and probably more so than the generation before. We've all grown up with these things with, you know, at this point, you almost have the power of all knowledge at your fingertips and leveraging that technological power is something that we all really believe in, that we're all interested in, and something that we've seen happen over and over again. And that's that's almost an attitude change in itself. We've seen the world change so much in the last 10 years, five years, 20 years, like more so than, than ever before, really. There's been these in, insane system-shaping changes taking place. And a lot of that is through technology. And I mean, Bella can probably speak to this better than I can, but there, there, there are things being done in philanthropy now that never would have been possible in terms of crowdfunding and starting new organisations and, and keeping everyone informed than ever before. Absolutely. And I mean, I think it's sort of the case that new gens actually don't have the option to ignore the demand for social change. Oftentimes we get characterised as oh, you know, we are voluntarily through social media creating all these sort of currents. And it's like, I don't know if that's the case. I think it's like completely involuntary, really, when you think about it. It's like there's no way you can sort of ignore the state of the world in a way that you might have been able to before the advent of social media. And not even with Groundswell. I mean, Marty, if you think about what we did last week, I don't think that there could have been a crowdfunding webinar hosted for the UNHCR in Australia for Afghanistan or, you know, let's say for Vietnam during the time of the Vietnam War. Obviously, that couldn't have happened, but it can now. And again, like Ben Quilty's own message has only been distributed through social media. That's how everyone knows about it. And in fact, the 24-hour news cycle and the fact that everyone is their own news outlet in 2021 means that you can't ignore social media and these demands for social change, even if you want to. Like, even if I look at myself, it isn't even on Instagram. It was still sort of on my radar. So, yeah, I think it's kind of like new gens sort of just have to play ball because it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, as you say, it's inescapable to take the Ben Quilty thing, very quick reaction and response. What does that do around the expectation about what new gen philanthropy can offer in this space? I mean, yes, but I think it also means that there is like an enormous expectation for all of us to become part of the solution. And perhaps that's where Groundswell has really sort of carved out a niche for itself. Obviously, we have millions of people that are cripplingly anxious about the state of the climate crisis and the state of our federal government's position or lack thereof on it. 
And so, you know, you sort of go, well, what can I do? Like, how can I advance climate advocacy by my own? And it's like, well, maybe you can't. And what you can do instead is join this enormous community of people that are all, you know, working together for a common goal by providing the funding that the people that are in a position to do it can do it. I think that's like a really good example of a new gen approach, which is I'll give $20 a week to this cause because that's sort of all I can do to advance something that actually I really care about, that actually takes up a lot of airtime in my own head, but perhaps I don't have the resources of any kind to do anything about it because, of course, most of us aren't climate advocates by trade, but there's always something that you can do. And I think it's sort of that innovation as well that is a markedly new gen thing where it's like there's always that trope of like, oh, well, what can I do? And new gens are like, well, this is what you can do. Like you can provide the grease that is going to turn those cogs. You don't have to turn them yourselves, nor do you have to be that cog, but it doesn't mean that you can't be a part of the machine in some sense. And I think, again, with social media, you become aware of those ways you can be involved through that sort of borderless online community that, again, would be totally impossible without us being interconnected in that way. Like, how else could you rally that many people across the country to do this thing? And how else could you sort of leverage those funds towards those causes that, you know, like maybe it's someone trying to stop a new gas project in the Northern Territory and you're living in like Carlton, how else does someone in Melbourne and someone on the front line in the NT become connected if not for social media? I suppose in a sense that's where we're going with the discussion in some ways. If we are all digital natives and you guys are at the forefront of that, don't we all in a sense become potential advocates in ways that were never possible until social media? Uh, you know, I mean, potentially there's this, there's an army of advocates that you guys can tap into to help drive yeah. the social change you're after. Yeah. Well, I mean, as I said, like everyone is sort of their own media outlet now. And I think particularly around the time that the Black Lives Matter movement exploded, we saw that more than ever. There's almost a pressure at that point in time from people saying, why aren't you posting about this? Like you, you have an audience as much as anyone else. So you have, you know, you have 300 followers on Instagram. That's 300 people that if they hear from you might think, hey, like this, this is important, this, this matters to us, this matters to me, and they can do the same thing and the messages kind of just broadcast out from there in a huge way. But that, that's one of the interesting things, isn't it? I mean, I, I look at, you know, when I was 25, most of my mates wouldn't have had a point of view about anything much, but I can't say that that's true of, like, my son's 25. It's not true of he and his mates. They have a view yeah. about stuff and they're happy to share that view. You know, that strikes me as being a wonderful opportunity for people who want to drive social change to actually access those viewpoints that actually, in a sense, affirm the value of what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely it is. Although there are two sides to that coin and the other side is that there are people with outlandish views, you know, completely ill-informed, uneducated views that have a platform that they never would have had otherwise. And then, of course, we have 
these echo chambers that exist on Facebook and we know we know how bad that can be. When it's good, it's good. And when it's bad, it's really bad because whilst I think it's certainly the case that everyone seems to care about everything, it's not the case that everyone is measured and objective and rational and, of course, informed about everything, right? So it's not the case that everyone has really good ideas about everything and that there's a forum for healthy debate about everything. You know, that actually couldn't be further from the truth. So I think, yeah, there are good spaces around that, bad spaces around that. You just hope that the good spaces are the same spaces that have resources, right? So how do you expand your network, the new gen network? What do you feel are the the ways of engaging like-minded souls on the new gen philanthropy journey? For me, it's, it's twofold. One, it's about creating connections between people. And the other thing is showcasing the amazing things that people are doing, so in inspiring people. And hopefully we can provide that space in new gen, both to, I mean, it's, it's particularly hard right now in this time when we're, we're all at home, but we're doing our best to sort of make a space where people can come, get to know each other, explain who they are, what they're doing, what they care about. And that in itself is particularly inspiring. I mean, just seeing who is part of a network and what they've done and are doing kind of gives you this amazing sense of possibility. And then at the same time, bringing in interesting guests like rock stars of philanthropy and, and business and that kind of thing, people that are just doing good work in the world is, is such a powerful thing for people to just have beamed into their houses right now. I mean, it's sort of an amazing time for that. And I think it's also about knocking down some of those barriers to entry more broadly. Um, like I think most people have this idea of philanthropy that it's something that like, you know, uber wealthy people do mm. and that it operates from a certain proximity away from issues and that it's only about, as we've been saying, writing checks and sort of throwing them at causes from afar and of course we know that that's like absolutely not what it is and so I think it's about making it more accessible for people who you know it may still be a case of people that have capital but of course also a case for people that have talents to offer or just time to offer and also about I think being really specific and clear about what things are actually a job for philanthropy to fix so that people sort of understand how they might get involved and how they might help move the dial on things. And I think it's about actually being really involved and really participatory in philanthropy that will engage the next generation because, again, I think in days gone by there just hasn't been that level of involvement or that level of participation. You know, I know that there's this huge conversation at the moment about, like, philanthropy historically being the kind of poor cousin of business and really it shouldn't be. It should be like the equally wealthy sibling. Um, and I think for that to happen we have to recognise that philanthropy is just as demanding of serious effort as business is. And so I think that's what will get young people on board more than anything. I totally agree with that. It's, it's about broadening it by understanding and putting out what a definition of philanthropy is and what a philanthropist is. And it is not just giving money away. It's about 
making change and how, however you can do that. I think in, in generations gone by, it's, it's not as if people aren't, weren't volunteering or doing activism or any of those other kinds of things that we see as central to philanthropy now. It's just those things would be happening in other spaces and not being part of the conversation. And we kind of need to have people understand that that's all part of this thing that we're trying to do to change society and that there's a space for everyone in that. Bella, you mentioned innovation a while ago. Are there opportunities to think differently about some of those entrenched problems or is it very Mm -hmm. much about looking at the current problems and trying to treat them in an innovative way? Well, it's funny, Marty and I had a really good chat about this um, and we sort of conscious that there's always this characterization around like, oh, world hunger, people have been hungry since the beginning of time. How have we not solved to that? And it would be so easy to say like, oh, yeah, everyone before the youth of today were useless and it will be us that will change that in our lifetime and blah, 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 um, because obviously that couldn't be further from the case. Obviously, as time goes on, technology gets better and I think that's obviously the most important thing we have in our arsenal and if anything will change these really big systemic problems like homelessness and access to healthcare and hunger and poverty like the really wicked problems that sort of seem to be intrinsic to society to the extent that we like can't dispose of them like it will be technology of course like it'll be disruptive technology and we have that you know, every day that goes by, we have more and more of that in our arsenal. So it's like, by definition, it might not be this new gen cohort that solves it, but it will eventually be a new gen cohort. Like it's just part of the beast is that it will be something disruptive. But it's not to say that like all the progress that has been done hitherto hasn't meant that the circumstances that now surround it lean itself to being solved more so than before. So I don't think it's a case of it's been around for a long time and we need all these fresh eyes to look at it in a way that it's never been looked at before. I think it's just as time goes on, these things get easier to tackle because society is simply better equipped to deal with them. You sort of think in in terms of education, like I I started using Duolingo again, maybe (laughs) two weeks ago, three weeks ago. And I'm, I'm back up to about where my level of high school French was. And that's a completely scalable, fun way to learn. And that can translate across. Obviously, not everyone has a smartphone and that's, that's an issue in itself. But maybe that's something that can be solved by technology too. And there's just this huge amount of testable, scalable solutions that we can find and and look at and hopefully use that to progress society in ways that maybe weren't happening before. And like Bella says, that doesn't have anything to do with us being a new gen cohort. That's just the tools of the game changing. Yeah. Mm. the It seems to me a, a very fundamental um, instinct of new gen is that capacity and that drive to collaborate in ways perhaps previous generations didn't have. And and it kind of goes to what we were talking about in terms of that, that technology because it makes obviously shared information and connectivity so much easier. But how do you actually leverage that collaboration to try and get what you need to in terms of that social change? Mm, I think like what I was saying before about like listening to all voices 
like if you are doing a project that involves X number of stakeholders, it's like listen to the stakeholders because they actually have a better idea of the nature of this thing than you do. And my sense is that that's often not the case, that people are sort of, you know, making executive decisions about things because they are the ones with the capital and, of course, the power and, you know, at the end of the day, the prerogative to make those decisions. But it's like that's not effective decision making. I think as we collapse some of those barriers to entry, we will also naturally see people going away with having monopolies over certain things. Like my sense is a lot of these sort of really old school intergenerational philanthropic families will often sort of reserve the right over a particular cause. Like you'll see people single-handedly providing the capital for a hospital or a university or whatever it may be. And of course, that is so antithetical to collaboration. And so I think the new gen network as it exists is a huge testament to the fact that hardly anyone in that group is coming from a background like that. It is much more diverse and people have less to work with in that sense. So it demands collaboration, which is, of course, only a good thing. So I think that will only increase as time goes on and then we'll arrive at a point where it's like the only way to work is to collaborate because people can't sort of bankroll things in a way that perhaps they once did and therefore have influence over whatever that sort of institution or outcome. Marty, did you want to have anything on that question? Yeah, um, just conversation, right, finding places and spaces to allow for open conversations about these kinds of things will inevitably end up making a huge difference. And that's that's something that's a lot easier now than maybe it used to be. Like, look at the statement from the heart, right? There's sort of an ongoing conversation around philanthropy Australia and philanthropy and society generally. You know, we have this issue that we all understand and kind of generally agree on is completely messed up and something that needs to change, something that needs to change quickly. And we don't necessarily have a path forward to do that. But there are so many people in powerful positions or each individual person is themselves powerful for all the reasons we've talked about before. And what we really need is an open communication about what we're going to do and how we're all going to leverage each individual talent or money or whatever that we have to push this forward. And I think, yeah, what your question is kind of alludes to the fact that it, it is still an open conversation. Like how will we leverage all the tools that we have to collaborate? And yeah, I think it just starts with talking about it and like Bella was saying before, listening because nothing nothing changes when, when everyone is certain. Okay, so question without notice to you both. Final question. Where would you like New Gen to be in five years' time? Well, it would be great if we were all just patting each other on the back about solving world hunger. Uh, but short of that, uh, I guess I really want to see New Gen just be a thriving and diverse kind of marketplace of ideas and, and conversations. We'd love to see the fruits of collaboration between everyone and all the amazing projects that 
will inevitably come out of that because we've kind of seen these things already in, in new gen history, the way that a simple conversation between a few people at a couple drinks after an event can turn into a new business or a new avenue of social change and something that really moves the needle that just came out of that and to feed those people back in so that that kind of thing just keeps happening and it all gets it gets bigger and bigger and snowballs to a point where you know everyone feels like they're part of the next generation of change making in five years i think i would like to see new gen a lot bigger and a lot more diverse with new people finding a home in new gen who just wouldn't have thought that it was a place for them and when we have that i think we will have better inputs into this like marketplace of ideas and that's only ever going to be a good thing. And you hope that the flow and effect from there is just like this eventual societal shift where people realise that giving is a fundamentally important part of how we live. And I think it's only going to be through those changes in the zeitgeist where we eventually have sort of all hands on deck that we will really start to see the dial moved on some of these things that we just haven't been able to crack. That was the Philanthropy Australia podcast. Our guests were the two new co-chairs of Philanthropy Australia's New Gen Network, Bella Wicks and Martin Green. I'm Nick Richardson, and thanks for listening.